Well, you guys, welcome. Glad you guys are here. Um, oh, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Uh, guys, we only have three weeks left of Chi Alpha. I know. So sad. Um, boo, yes. Which also means that we have three weeks left of the series we're in. If you are new with us, we have been going through a series of convictions. If you forgot, we're still going through a series on convictions. Um, and this series is about things that we feel are important if we're going to walk with God for the rest of our lives, right? And, uh, and they're not just things that we're striving for, but they're also prayers of ours. So, you know, as Charles talked about um, uh, the bitterness, like we're asking, Lord, would you help us to be people who forgive, right? Jordan talked about honor. Lord, would you help us people who honor people? Um, and so tonight, we're continuing on with our series, and we're talking about grace. And I'll be honest with you guys, grace is something that I... Uh, I think everyone struggles with. We kind of struggle with what it is. Um, and I know that I've, I've struggled with it for a long time, but I'm really excited because the Lord's shown me quite a bit, um, even, even as I was preparing and just looking at um, what I've gone through. So I'm excited to share with you guys tonight uh, what grace is about. So before we get into that, I, uh, I just want to share something funny with you guys. But before that, I'm going to preface it by saying that tonight I'm going to be pretty vulnerable with you guys. Is that cool? Is that cool with y'all? All right. Guys, I want to tell you, how sad of an excuse I was as a romantic. It, it was bad, man. I'll be honest with you guys. I never, I never so much as, I never dated a girl, never even went on a single date until I got to college. Um, and this was not because I didn't have any interest in girls. It was because I didn't have any common sense when it came to talking to girls. Uh, I remember the first girl that I liked in, in high school. Um, her name was Shannon. And we had a speech class together. And it was really funny because I liked this girl. She didn't like me, but I didn't know that. And so I was, like, texting her because I, I, we had a project together. So I would text her. But I would send her those, like, big, long paragraph texts, right? And um, not a good idea when the girl doesn't like you. Well, she was nice. She would text me back. And then sooner or later, she got to the point where she would send, like, I'd, like, send this long paragraph. And she'd be like, cool. And, guys, if you have any common sense, you know this girl doesn't like me. But I didn't have common sense, so I would send back a big, long paragraph text, <laughs> and it just kept going on until one day I, uh, I sent her a text, and then she didn't respond at all. And so, like, three hours later, I was like, did you get my text? <laughs> and girls, you know that if a guy does that, then he's creepy. And <laughs> so I get to class one day, and she has moved, like, across the classroom, never talked to me, gave me a really bad nickname, which some of you know, and uh, that was the end of that. And then 10th grade rolls around, right? And there's this girl named Beth. This girl was really sweet. Um, I know she actually liked me. I remember we, like, liked each other, and it was cool. She was, like, a whole foot taller than me because I was short, and she was a volleyball player. Um, and it was really sweet, and like I, you know, we would text, we would talk, um, and uh, we had a class together. I'd go to her volleyball games and like cheer for her and stuff. And um, but again, clueless, right? And I didn't know that at certain point you're supposed to ask a girl out. And so <laughs> for like two months, I texted. I only texted this girl and talked to her in class. And then one day, I get to class. It's after the weekend, and I see one of my buddies in class. I'm like, hey, dude, how was your weekend? And he's like, oh, man, it was great. Beth and I started dating. And it was just like, Psh, and like crushed. And I was like, what? <laughs> what? Like, I didn't know what happened because this girl was tired of waiting. I was just texting her, and it's like at a certain point, it's like, okay, this dude clearly doesn't like me. When I did, but no common sense, right? And I, uh, 
it was sad, guys. I'm not trying to like make you feel bad for me. It was funny. It was ridiculous how bad I was. There was so many other situations where I like, I was like, oh, I, I got a crush on that girl. And then I'd say like two words to her and I was like, oh, there goes every chance I ever had. <laughs> and, uh, but I'm not going to tell you any more stories. I'll, I'll spare myself. Um, and that was high school, right? High school was pretty bad. And then I got to college and things got better, right? Yeah, they actually did. <laughs> uh, and the reason they got better was because I got saved. Now, I don't say this flippantly. I don't. Once Jesus became Lord of my life, things changed for me. And it was cool because I remember what happened when I gave my life to the Lord. I remember I was at the altar and I said, Jesus, I don't know a lot about you, but I know that you're worth following. And so I'm going to just trust you and I'm going to do what you say. And it was so cool because the Lord started changing so many things in my life. And one of those was how to talk to girls. So guys, if you're not saved... You know how to talk to girls better. <laughs> um, but it was so cool because the end of my first semester, freshman year, I got my first ever girlfriend. And I was so pumped, right? It was so cool. I'd, I was falling in love with Jesus. I had this girlfriend. I was romantic. I was a gentleman. Like, And then spring semester rolls around, and my small group leader asked me to do leadership training class. So now I'm going to be a small group leader. And life was just, it was, it was awesome. It really was awesome. Um, but if you know anything about being a new Christian, and having your first ever girlfriend or boyfriend, there are quite a few. That's like, that's like a recipe for disaster, honestly. <laughs> um, quite a few temptations that start showing up. And so what started out one month as like my first kiss, the next month turned into something a little bit more. And then a few weeks later, it was a little bit more. And the next thing I knew, I was staying the weekend at her, uh, at her dorm. And, uh, and I'd get back to my dorm Sunday night, and I was just like, oh, man, like, what am I doing? kind of dumb like I, I feel really bad and so I'm like okay God I gotta I gotta make it up to you right and I gotta make it up but what would end up happening is that a week later or two weeks later I'd be back there staying the weekend at her dorm and um and I remember at one point I was like well Lord like you love me and I love you and I love this girl so even if what I'm doing might be wrong you'll forgive me and so I just kind of tried to shut my conscience up and I succeeded temporarily. But this ended up leading to one of the greatest regrets I have as a Christian. And I ended up doing something with this girl that I had promised myself I would never do until I was married. And I did something I knew he could, I couldn't take back. And I knew that I couldn't look my wife in the face one day and tell her that I kept myself for her. And I was a Christian when I did this. I, I had actually finished LTC. I had gone through my interview, and they were like, Sean, you're going to be a small group leader next year when this happened. And it was so crazy because I was struggling so much this whole time with God's grace. And I was like, what, what is God's grace, right? Because I had this idea of what God's grace was, but then I looked at my life, and I was like, well, man, my life's not living up to this at all. And I saw that I called myself a Christian, but... I wasn't matching up to what I said I believed. And it's so cool because as I look back now, I realize, I realize what it was um, and why I was struggling with God's grace is because I had started to believe these wrong views, these crooked views about what God's grace was. But God and his patience and his love, he showed me what his real grace was. And so my hope tonight is that you guys would learn from my story and my experiences and from the Bible what God's real grace is for your life. Now, I'll be honest, 
Um, I'm going to be pretty elementary in how I talk about grace tonight, right? Uh, if you guys know Mr. Sean, anyone who goes to the foundry? Yeah. Mr. Sean's t- talking tonight. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I've got pictures. I've got stories. i got crayons. No, I'm just kidding. I don't have crayons. Um, but I do have pictures and stories because, listen, I, I'm not one of those people who can, like, grab abstract thoughts, right? i got to see something. I'm very visual. I'm not the smartest guy um, without having to see something. And so visuals work well for me. I know they work well for a lot of people. So we got a visual tonight, and this is our visual. Three crosses with grace, right? So what we see is there's grace on the horizontal, and our uprights are blank for now. And so we're going to be just filling these in tonight. And you see there's two crooked crosses, right, and then one, right, one cross that's right. And so we're going to be talking about these crooked views of grace, these wrong views of grace, and then we're going to see what the real thing is. Now, before we go any further, I just want us to be on the same page as, what gra- as to what grace is. And grace, um, we have this Chi Alpha definition. I think it's the best definition. I, I know Merriam-Webster's great, but I like our Chi Alpha definition. It's just two words. It's super easy to remember. Grace is undeserved favor. Grace is undeserved favor. Grace is all about getting something that you don't deserve. According to the Bible, we are all guilty of sin, right? We are all guilty in the sight of God, and we do not deserve his forgiveness. We do not deserve his salvation. We do not deserve anything from him, right? The only thing we deserve is punishment for our sin. And yet Jesus died on the cross as a payment for that sin. And it was completely undeserved. There was nothing that we did that, get, that merited us, or merited him doing that for us, right? Now, grace in the Bible, it's always talked about in this way. It talks about receiving grace. And that's what we're talking about tonight, right? Receiving God's grace. How do we receive God's grace? There's wrong ways and there's a right way. Now, the Bible is really cool. I like how plain the Bible is. Ephesians 2.8 just tells us that we are saved by grace. It's that simple. We're saved by grace. And it's a really cool um, it's a really cool verse, but we're not sticking there tonight. Where we're sticking is in the book of Galatians. If you ever, honestly, I'll, be, I'll tell you guys, everything I've got tonight is from the book of Galatians. This is not new. This is not profound. This is, this is God's word, right? And so if you want to go read it, it'll take you like 20 minutes to read the book. But tonight we're in Galatians, and the verse that we have says this. We know that a person is not justified by blank, but by blank. I purposely left out the reference because we're going to go through this verse, right? And so um, if we take the first part of this verse, it says, we know that a person is not justified by legalism. Legalism. This is a dirty word. I have yet to meet a person in my life who is just like, itching to call themselves legalistic, right? They might be legalistic, but they're not like, <laughs> yeah, look at how legalistic I am. Like, I am so much better than that, right? No one is, no one runs around saying that, right? We, we find ourselves being legalistic, but no one's proud of it. Um, and it's just really interesting because, because legalism is probably the most common, crooked form of grace that we find today. And if you're not sure what legalism is, I'll tell you. Legalism at its core says this. I am right with God if I do all the right things. Legalism is about works. It's about doing things to be right with God. And the Bible actually calls this, it's got a term, it's called living under the law. And if you know anything about this term, living under the law is like living in a prison, right? Because what we see is according to the Bible, according to Galatians, 
you can't, you can't actually be saved by the law. God's law was never intended to save us or make us right with him. It was meant to show us our need for a savior. Galatians 3.21 says, If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. But the law can't make us right with God. And we can't, we can't get right just because we're legalistic and we try and do all the right things, right? I, I found this out for myself when I was dating that girl because, right, I was fooling around with her, staying over at her dorm, and I'd come back and I'd be by myself and I was like, oh, man, like, I messed up. And I was so guilty, so, like, convicted, right? And my response, I, I knew that I needed God's grace. That was clear to me. I was like, man, I need God's grace. But I had this wrong view that said, okay, I got to make it up to God. And so what I did is I said, well, I'm going to read my Bible for 30 minutes a day, and I'm going to pray first thing in the morning, and I'm going to stay an hour extra after small group because I always left the second small group was over. But I thought if I do that, then I'll make myself right with God. And I started to believe this lie that if I just do the right things, then God will forgive me, and I'll be on good terms with him. But what I didn't understand is that if legalism could never get me saved in the first place, how could it make me right with God afterwards as well? If legalism can never make any of us, can never get us saved in the first place, how could it make us right with God afterwards as well? Legalism is a scary thing because it assumes we can fix ourselves. David Pawson, one of my heroes, Brandon. Brandon listens to him more than I do. Uh, but he's awesome. David Boston's awesome. He's got this story about a guy who was in his church who uh, was really rough around the edges and gives his life to Jesus. And he comes to, D- to David and says, Pastor David, is it wrong to go to the movies? You know, David Poston's like, oh, man, like, well, you know, I want to quote Second Hesitations, but uh, it's not a book in the Bible. It's a joke. Um, you can laugh. Uh, but he's like, <laughs> but he he says, you know, well, why don't you take Jesus to the movie and ask him what he thinks? So the man goes to the movies, and he says, can I get two tickets? And the girl at the counter is like, um, well, who's the other one for? And he's like, I, j- I just want two tickets. And she's like, what, I mean, is your, mo- is your wife coming? Is your friend coming? He's like, no, I just want two tickets. She's like, no, 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 no. Who is the other ticket for? And she's like, won't let him go. And finally, he's like, all right, it's for Jesus. And she goes, <gasps> and like freaks out. And she ends up calling her manager, and he comes down, and he's like, what? And she's like, this man wants two tickets. He's like, okay. And she's like, and the other one's for Jesus. And he's like, well, I mean, he's an idiot. Just we benefit. Just give it to him, whatever. So he gets his two tickets, and he goes in the theater, and he says, all right, Jesus, use it here. And he sits, and the movie starts. And 10 minutes in, he's like, Jesus, do you like this? Are movies okay? Do you like them? And two minutes later, he's walking out of the movie theater. And see, I'm not saying, movies aren't a sin. They're not wrong. But for this man, they were. And David Pawson knew that he couldn't make rules for this guy, nor should this, make, nor should this guy make rules for himself. Because what legalism does, what making these extra rules does, is it kills the spirit of God and silences his voice silences his voice. And something interesting about legalism is that it doesn't always come out of a bad heart. People tend to put up rules because they don't want to sin, right? But the fallacy, the, the, the wrong idea in this thought is, again, that we feel like we can fix ourselves and that we can be good enough. But remember, our definition of grace is that grace is undeserved. We cannot earn it. So our first crooked view of grace is to think that we can receive 
We receive God's grace by doing all the right things, but sadly, even our best will never be enough, right? Um, now we go on to the next crooked view of grace. In Galatians, when we fill in our verse, it's, it reads this. We know that a person is not justified by ignorance. Ignorance. Now you notice I put the word willful above ignorance. This is important, right? This, because this ignorance that I'm talking about is not like a childish ignorance. It's not just an ignorance of, oh, I don't know. You know what I mean? This is an ignorance that says, I know the facts and I choose to ignore them. Right? I choose to ignore them. In the context of grace, willful ignorance has to do with continued sin. The attitude that of willful ignorance says this, I can do whatever I want because God will forgive me. I can do whatever I want because God will forgive me. This attitude of grace is not new. This has been around since the very beginning of Christianity. Paul says in Romans 6.1, Shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? By no means. And this was because Paul understood that to be willfully ignorant and to keep on sinning meant you would be abusing God's grace. Abusing it. Jude 1.4 says this, the, these ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality. These people are saying, because God gives me grace, I can do whatever I want. And they're abusing it. They're perverting this idea as a license to do whatever they want, right? And then Hebrews 10.26 says, if we deliberately keep on sinning, after we've received the knowledge of truth, there is no sacrifice for sin, right? The key word here is deliberately. Paul is not saying if you mess up once after you get saved, bye-bye, you're going to hell. No, what he's saying is if you keep on living a life that is, that is um, completely unrestrained, a life that says, you know what, this is a lifestyle now, even though I know it's wrong, I'm going to keep doing it. He's saying then there is no hope for, there's no more sacrifice for sin, right? I'll give you two quick illustrations, um, one that's kind of common and then one that's, that's in a religious context. Uh, those of you who went on Atlanta Dream Center, where are you at? Yeah. You guys told me this story. I heard it from like four people. This is a really funny story. Um, there, <laughs> there was like another school there, and they were telling stories, I guess. And at one point, they were like, hey, so there was this frat party at our school. And, uh, and, and it was like crazy, right? And the cops show up. They're not there to like arrest anyone. They're, they're just there because there's a noise complaint. And they're just going to say, hey, like, turn your music down. But these guys are up in the second floor, and they're, you know, they're, like, drinking. They're doing some drugs, maybe. And they're, like, oh, man, the cops are here. Like, we got to go. All right? And so, like, one guy bolts out the door. The other one's going. And then this last guy is, like, oh, I'm getting out. And so he opens the window, and he does a swan dive from the second floor, right? But there was no pool that he was swan diving into. He swan dived onto the concrete, broke his back, got arrested, and it's like, bro, I don't care how messed up you are, I don't care how much you're drinking, it you are it, you have to be willfully ignorant to think that gravity stops working for you, right? You have to be willfully ignorant to think that there is no pool down there. And this dude, like, it's just ridiculous. Like, I remember Jordan was telling me he he heard that story and he was like, Wait, 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 surely I missed something. Like, surely there was a pool. But no, there wasn't. He was willfully ignorant. And then in a religious context, we see it. It's the same people who do these crazy, ridiculous things, right? Kind of like this, this, this dummy who jumped out the window. And they say, well, you know what? Friday and Saturday night, I went crazy. But, hey, I go to church on Sunday. Or I go to youth group on Wednesday. So God and I are good. God and I are good. I don't, I don't come down on this guy because, you know, like, I haven't been there. Because I have. Because with this girl, what happened was I got to a place 
and that relationship where I was like, man, legalism isn't working. Like, my rules, they're, they're not fixing anything. And so I just said, you know what? Like, I love this girl, and I love God, and I know he loves me. So even if what I d- am doing is wrong, God's got enough forgiveness. He's got enough grace for me, right? But what this did was that it gave me a license to do whatever I wanted. And doing whatever I wanted ended up being one of the worst things for my life. Man, willful ignorance is scary, guys. It's scary because you end up in bondage to your desires. In the same way that with legalism, you end up in bondage to your rules. And one of the craziest things about these two wrong views of grace, right, ignorance and legalism, is that I guarantee every single one of you in this room can spot it in even a fraction of a second. I promise you can. And here's why I say that. Because if you have ever met someone who's claimed to be a Christian or heard someone who said they were a Christian and, the, and, and they were described as arrogant or rigid or judgmental, then that person you're describing is almost certainly holds to a legalistic form of grace, right? Because their cold, hard rules have made them cold and hard people. And if you've ever met a Christian or heard of a Christian described as hypocritical or fake or not being real, then odds are that person being described is willfully ignorant in their form of grace because they say, I can do whatever I want. Isn't that crazy? We can all spot a fake. I know you guys are probably thinking about people right now. I am. I'm thinking about people I'm like, man, uh, social media, all this crazy stuff where it's like, man, you're being, you are not the real thing, right? And we can all spot the fake in a second, but can we spot the real thing? What is the real grace? What is the real view of receiving grace? What does the Bible have to say? Do you guys want to know? Cool. Kind of. <laughs> I hope. I mean, I, I want to tell you, but I want to make sure you guys want to know. Our verse, the one that I kept blank, is Galatians 2.16. And I'll let you know real quick. Oh, it's out there. Well, um, what I want to let you know is this is a paraphrase, okay? So when you go and read it for yourself, please don't come stone me. I've paraphrased it for the sake of this, and it's, it's pretty much a summation of the whole book of Galatians, and this is what it reads. We know that a person is not justified by legalism or ignorance, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Faith. We receive grace by faith in Jesus Christ. It's that simple. In fact, when I first read this, it was pretty deflating. I was like, that's it? Like, it's not some grand word. It's not some grand idea, but if I'm going to be honest, I'm actually really grateful for how simple it is to receive God's grace and that Jesus didn't make it complex, right? I like that faith is simple because at its most basic form, faith is just trust. Faith is trust. Faith, according to the Bible, is putting our trust in someone or something based on the evidence we have. Ravi Zacharias has this sick quote, and he says, God has put enough into the world to make faith in him a most reasonable thing. But he has left enough out to make it impossible to live by sheer reason or observation alone. Christianity is not a faith in some blind force. It is a faith in a person. It is trusting in the man Jesus Christ. 
Now, I know this, this sounds so simple, right? I mean, it really does sound simple. Grace is received through trusting in Jesus. Grace is received through faith in Jesus. And the reason it sounds so simple is because it really is that simple. But just because something is simple doesn't mean it's easy. And here's what I mean by this. Uh, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Romans 10.9. It says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. Pretty simple, right? Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, then you'll be saved. Four-year-old can figure that out. But the reason why it's not easy is because of this. Do you guys know what the difference between a confession and a profession is? I'll give you an example. Take a court of law. Let's say let's say Nate's on trial for some heinous crime, right? Like hooliganism because he broke into the stadium and got caught, which actually happened. But Nate, and he was, other people did too. Jeff got away somehow. <laughs> um, <laughs> but Nate's on, Nate's on trial for this heinous crime, right? And everyone knows he did it. There's like video footage. Everyone knows he did it. But in the trial, they call me up as a witness, right? And I'm up there and I'm like, hello, Mr. Judge. Um, I got something to say. I actually was the one who committed this crime, not Nate. Now, would what I said be a profession or a confession? It's a confession. And the reason it's a confession and not a profession is that it's something is only a confession if it is true. A confession is only a confession if it is true. So when the Bible says that we're saved by confessing with our mouth and believing in our hearts, that hinges on the fact that it's actually true in our lives. Right? You can't just simply say Jesus is Lord and boom, you're saved. It actually has to be true. It's easy to say you're a follower of Jesus, but it's an entirely different thing for that statement to really be true. I had to relearn what true grace was through this perspective, right? Um, I'd gone too far. I'd slept with my girlfriend, and I had messed up as bad as I thought I could at the time. And I just remember thinking, Jesus, I... I need the real thing. I'm tired of these cheap, fake views. I need the real thing. These things don't work. They seem good, but they don't work. I need the real thing. And so for about a week after what happened with my girlfriend, I, uh, I just came to Jesus in brokenness and in humility, and I was like, Lord, what, what, do, what do I do? Show me how to receive your grace. And it's so cool, so cool, because Jesus didn't show me some new truth. He actually showed me something I had once seen before. And he reminded me of what I said when I gave my life to him. I said, Jesus, I don't know a lot about you, but I know you're worth following, and I'm going to trust and do whatever you say. The thing I had forgotten was simple trust in a person, simple faith in a person, trusting and doing what he said, not as a law, not as these rules, but just following a person, right? And this was what grace looked like when I got saved. And this is what grace looked like then, and it's what it still looks like now. And so then I just said, God, what, what do I do next? Jesus, what do you want me to do? And so he told me, he said, Sean, I want you to confess your sin to your, to your small group leader. And that was not easy. Man, that was probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to confess to someone because I really respected my small group leader, and I didn't want to let him down. And I remember even where I, where I, where I confessed to him, but it was so good. And then I came to Jesus and said, all right, Lord, if there's anything else, what is it? And then he told me to break up with her. 
And now I got lucky. I didn't have to pull the whole God told me card because he spoke to her too, right? And, um, but I'll be honest with you, this was neither easy nor fun. Not in the slightest, but it was what Jesus had asked me to do. And in faith, I trusted it was the best thing for my life. And it was so cool because I started walking with Jesus. I started receiving his grace again. It was, I was a new person again. And it was, it was the most liberating thing. There was so much liberty that came in that simple faith and that simple trust in him. But it's funny because grace being received through faith is something that's really hard for people. For some reason, we, for some reason, we don't like things that are simple. We can't. We want these convoluted, hard ideas, right? We don't. We say if it's too good to be true, then it's then it's probably not worth taking, right? But Jesus makes things simple on purpose because we're kind of slow. Um, but it's funny because out of these convoluted ideas. There are these questions, there are these ideas, these messed up ideas. It's where these wrong views of grace come from. And so I want to just address two of these questions, and then we'll close in prayer. And I think these questions are important. I think they're very important. The first one was asked by Will. Where are you at, Will? He asked it in a small group. It was one of the coolest questions. It was, it was almost worded exactly how I'm asking it, because he's this good at asking questions. But he asked this, if the only way we can receive grace is by asking, doesn't that mean we deserve it if we ask? Doesn't that mean we deserve it? Such a good question, right? Jesus says, call on my name, confess. He's telling us to do this. So if we do it, doesn't that mean we earn it? Doesn't that mean we deserve it? And the simple answer is no. It's because of this verse. Romans 5, verses 6, 8, and 10. says that while we were still powerless, while we were still sinners, while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. You see, God was under no obligation to die for us, and yet he did. And he is still under no obligation to extend his grace to us, even if we ask. And the, but the cool thing is he does. He does. Now, the other question, and I think the one that is probably the most um, contested idea, especially with um, grace through faith, is this question. If we are saved by faith alone and not by our works then does that mean that works have no place in Christianity? It's a good question, right? Because people are like, oh, well, you know, I got saved when I was four. And so, hey, I got saved. I'm good. I got my ticket, right? I don't have to do anything. And so that's a really good question. But th this is interesting. Christianity is distinctly different than every other world religion I've ever looked at and from people who I trust who have also looked even more. And it's crazy because every other world religion, your salvation is based on what you do, right? Islam, your good deeds must outweigh your bad deeds. Hinduism, you're paying off your past lives by doing good things so you can reach nirvana. Even Judaism, it's about following the law of Moses to be right with God. But Christianity is the only faith where grace or where salvation is God's gift to man, is a gift of grace. So does that mean the Christian doesn't work anyway? Of course not. A Christian's work is a demonstration of the salvation he has received, not something done in order to attain it. We do works and we follow the commands of Jesus as a response, as a response to the free gift we've received. And God's hope is that we would do this out of desire, not just duty, right? We can do it out of obligation and it'll be cool, but he wants us to do it out of joy. And so, does this mean that if you've received grace, if you've been saved, but you haven't done anything, that you've lost your salvation? 
Absolutely not. It just means you're missing out on what God has for you. Francis Chan, I used to make fun of this dude. I thought he was like a C-class author. And then I realized this dude is a boss. You should check him out. He has this really funny illustration about, um, he says, like, it, what if you're at, like, the Olympics, right? And it's the final. It's like the balance beam final, all right? And the first girl goes, and she's, like, doing flips, and she is, you know, cartwheels and all this stuff, and she gets done, and they're, like, 10, 9, 10, 9. Second girl goes, she gets 10s and 9s. The last girl goes, and she gets on the balance beam, and she's, like, she's sitting there, and they're, like, start, and she's, like, and then she kind of gets scared, and so she just gets on the thing, and she just hugs it. And then her minute is up, and she, like, climbs off, and she goes. And all the judges get together, and they're like, well, I mean, she didn't do anything to disqualify herself, but she didn't do anything. Anything, right? (laughs) And it'd be really, really ridiculous to see that. But that's what it's like a lot of times. You can get saved, and you can receive God's grace, but if you don't do anything, what good is that? We're saved by grace through faith, and our works are a demonstration of the grace we've received, right? Even, I, I still receive grace. It, I didn't receive grace once when I was saved. I still receive grace, and I do things as a joy and as a response to what Jesus has given me, this undeserved and free gift. Now, I'm going to call the band back up, and I've just got one more thing to say. God's wish is that none of us would be saved by grace through faith only to be enslaved by legalism or to be deceived by willful ignorance again. God longs for every one of us in this room to continue, if you haven't accepted it before, to accept it for the first time and then to continue to accept it if you have before. This free gift, right? And then we would demonstrate to the world what this gift has been given to us. And for those of you in this room who are not a Christian, what I want to say to you is this. If, you've cor- if you have encountered one of these corrupt forms of grace, if you have encountered one of these corrupt forms of grace, then I want to say this. Please do not look th- let the fake put you off from the genuine. Do not throw out the real life-changing grace because the only Christians you've ever encountered are hypocrites or judgmental or rigid. But put your trust in a person. Man, five years ago, I put my trust in a person. I didn't know very much about him, but I put my trust in him. And it changed my life. And I believe that if you trust Jesus, if you put your trust in him tonight, that you will receive his grace tonight. And then for those of you in this room who are Christians, what I want to say to you is this. If you find yourself nailed to the cross of legalism or ignorance, just like I was, just like I have been since then, then I want you to ask God to show you what it was like when you first started walking with him and when you received his grace for the first time. Because God desires a fullness of grace in your life. He desires for you to walk in fullness of grace. And he wants to make you like a child once more that trusts their dad. So ask Jesus tonight that he would have what he would have you do And in simple trust and in simple faith, receive his grace again because he just wants to keep pouring it out. And he has enough for every one of us. So I'm going to pray. Jesus, thank you, God. Thank Thank you for the privilege of talking about you, Jesus. I pray that you have spoken tonight, God. I pray you speak to hearts. 
Lord, I pray that you would give us a humble spirit, God. A humble spirit tonight, Jesus. Lord, we love you and we trust you. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would touch our hearts tonight. Amen.